People of Note on Fine Music Radio is proudly brought to you each week at this time by Peter Turin Productions. This is Rodney Trudgeon welcoming you to this week's edition of People of Note, right here on Fine Music Radio. You will know, I'm sure, that Cape Town Opera's production of La Boheme is on here at the Artscape Theatre. And someone who's very involved with that is my guest today, Gary Matthewman, who is one of the UK's leading song pianists. We're going to discuss that in a moment. He's a regular artist at Wigmore Hall and New York's Carnegie Hall, Vienna's Musikverein at Reads Like a Who's Who of Concert Halls, and his partners read like a who's who of the great singers, Dame Kiritakanoa, Sir Thomas Allen, Joyce Dinanato, uh, Benjamin Apple, and also people like um, Andre Bororenko, Kate Royal, Kate Lindsay. So the list goes on. And the interesting thing is that Gary Matthewman is here on a six-week coaching residency at Cape Town Opera, sponsored by the Rupert Foundation. So, Gary, welcome. It's good to have you here. Thank you very much. And I know you're having a very busy time with mm-hmm. Labo Hem and all that, so thank you for your time. I'd like to find out a little bit about this residency that you're in, because you're only here for six weeks. What is, what is this all about? What is it actually? Well, it's a mixture of um, giving the young artists on uh, Cape Town Opera um, regular coachings um, on projects that I'll be involved with them specifically while I'm here, but also other things that they've got coming up. Um, and also being the assistant conductor for Jeremy Silver on Double M. Um, we're doing another concert with a small string orchestra, which involves some of those young artists I just mentioned. Um, and then we're doing a recital. I'll play a recital with Sarah Jane Brandon, who's our Mimi in the Bohem, which is especially delightful to me because she and I are old friends and old colleagues. We've done many recitals together in the UK where we met. Um, and then um, Dame Kiri to kind of is coming to do some masterclasses and coming to Cape Town. Coming to Cape Town uh, towards the end of my time here. In fact, they extended my time here slightly for that. Uh, Dame Kiri and I first worked together when she appeared as Dame Nellie Melba on Downton Abbey, which is a very popular <laughs> TV show in the UK. Um, and I played for her in that scene. And then I was lucky enough to play for the last couple of years of her recital career. Because mm-hmm. she's kind of retired now. She's she? officially retired last year, yeah. yeah. So um, she's coming to give a master class, and so I was asked if I would stick around for a few extra days and play for that class. So oh, gosh, that's, that's, very, that's good news to hear. I didn't know that at all. Mm. It's been a secret, I think. Lots going on, so it's great, yeah. <laughs> and um, it's not a bad place to spend six weeks or more, is it, would you say? It's heaven. You know, and I've, I've been winding all my friends up back in the UK, sending them photos of sun-drenched coastlines and things, and they're all in these storms and that's blowing right. gales. And, that's yeah, right. So. And when, how did it come about that you ended up coming out here? How, how did that come about? It was um, through, well, actually, Paul Ferreira is the rehearsal pianist here at Cape Town Opera. I think he, he was here permanently. Now he's here on and off on a freelance basis. Um, and he and I had some mutual friends who were coming to London. And so he wrote to me. And then I just asked him, you know, I said, what's the, what's the situation with assistant conducting and the coaching situation in Cape Town Opera? Um, being relatively new to conducting, I was curious to know what the situation was. And he said, well, I'll tell you what, why don't you write to Matthew Wilde, who's the artistic director there? Yes. So I did, and then we started a correspondence and um, and had an in, a kind of online interview. And here I am. Gosh. Yeah. And when you heard about it, did you think, gosh, that's a nice idea, going to Cape Town to Absolutely, help? Absolutely, yeah. And when you say working with young singers, are these singers 
that are part of Cape Town Opera, or could they be students, say, at UCT? It's a, I think it's a mixture. Is it a mixture um, of yes, folks from folks from UCT who I don't know. There are various kind of schemes and things. Okay, like. okay. Um, so they've either been selected to come in and have some coachings, or they're actually young artists for Cape Town Opera. Yeah, and there's one there's one singer, Sipo Fubesi, who will sing in the concert little concert I'm going to conduct a Sunday afternoon concert at the Hugo Lambrex Auditorium. Oh yes, okay. Um, and so he's actually covering Rodolfo in our Bohème. And he and I will also work together in that concert. So, you know, but I mean, so you, you're here for this period, and here we have La Bohème as the first mm-hmm. opera production of the year, mm-hmm. and it must be a great thing to be working on because it's first of all everybody's favorite opera, mm-hmm. almost, <laughs> and um, it must be a joy to be out here working with people on an opera like that, and also, as you keep saying, getting your hand at conducting, being yeah. the assistant conductor. La Bohème is notorious for being a, a conductor's graveyard. Oh really? Every every other page, there's there's something that can potentially go catastrophically wrong <laughs> if you just give an unclear you know cue or something. So yes, to have the chance to be here as an assistant, working with somebody like Jeremy Silver, who is an astonishing musician, my goodness. Um, yes, it's it's great, um, and the, everybody in the cast is lovely. We don't we don't have a bad egg. I'm happy to say everyone everyone's a sweetheart. So it's a happy production. It's a happy production. It's a happy rehearsal room, and um, we're having a lot of fun. Yeah. I want to, as we said earlier, I've just said about you moving over to conducting because I introduced you as a song pianist, mm-hmm. which is your phrase, isn't it, for accompanist? It, it is. It, we, I mean, we get a little bit pedantic about these things at home when we get on our high horse, but I do think it's it, it's an interesting thing to discuss because um, Susan Tomes, famous um, pianist, uh, said um, the only thing that the term accompanist tells you is that somebody else is more important <laughs> she well, said and so when she's asked if she if she's the accompanist she says no i don't play the accompanist <laughs> so you know we can go a bit we can go a bit far with these things i mean i think in a vocal recital of course all eyes are on the singer they're telling the story um but we have a huge part to play at the piano in pre- presenting somehow the psyche and so much of the subtext of what's going on in in the poem and you know if it, if it weren't for if it weren't for the poem that music wouldn't exist. wouldn't exist so the music you're playing is not abstract you know so but also it's it's not easy music those Absolutely. schubert accompaniments for, well uh, there i'm already using the word the schubert piano part mm-hmm. they are notoriously tricky to get the right mood the right atmosphere to bring out the right voices mm-hmm. it's definitely not an accompanist it's a it's very much a to a a partnership yeah mm-hmm. um and so like i said you we can go too far with this i don't <laughs> mind if people call me an accompanist um especially because we're i'm happy to say generally being more highly valued you know our singing colleagues they know when they've got the real what they call the real deal yes. at the piano it's amazing how that uh, does happen and you get yeah. some great partnerships don't you, you really do. if you think of Gerald Moore exactly and people like my Fischer hero Discar, my hero is he Gerald absolutely Moore? Yeah. <laughs> Um, Gary, let's have your first choice of mm-hmm. music, and I'm intrigued to know what you've chosen as a lover of opera and of music and of singing. Mm-hmm. What is your first choice? My first choice is an excerpt from Strauss's Ariadne of Naxos, Richard Strauss, um, and it's Es gibt ein Reich, and there's a particular recording um, with Jesse Norman in the title role, and the Leipzig Gewandhaus Orchestra and Court Mazur, and it's just beyond glorious. Mom! 
That's a truly incredible moment from Richard Strauss's opera Ariadne auf Noxus. The aria which Ariadne sings, Es gibt ein Reich, and it was the first choice of my guest Gary Matthewman, one of the UK's leading, as we know now, song pianists, stroke accompanist. And that's the recording with the Leipzig Gewandhaus Orchestra conducted by Kurt Mazur with Jesse Norman. Now, sadly, the late Jesse Norman. Mm-hmm. Amazing, isn't it, to think, Gary, that that voice has been silenced. But we have all the recordings. And that's the thing. What a legacy we have. Yeah, but it's it. interesting. Um, what I always love about that aria, and thank you for choosing it, is that last minute or so where from this very sparse orchestration with mm-hmm. that strange sound of the harmonium, mm-hmm. Strauss just asks his soprano to open up, and that mm. last minute is absolutely hair-raisingly mm. beautiful. Don't you agree? Absolutely. And the, I think part of the the genius of that, well, of the work in general, is that with such a small orchestra, Strauss creates he create he creates a kind of a sparseness in the sound world, but never loses sight of that expansiveness, which. It's well, I guess it's characteristic of so much of his of his writing. Um, no, it really is a glorious thing, and, it, and it, I have a, a special um, a soft spot for the for the work because it was a work that I first acted as repetiteur on for Glyndebourne. Oh, really? And, and th- they call certain operas, you know, very much a Glyndebourne piece, and yeah. that really is Ariadne of so just yeah. on that s- slightly smaller scale. Mm-hmm. Um, very special thing to to take part in. Yeah. As I said, Gary Matthewman is my guest on People of Note, brought to you by Peter Turin Productions. And Gary's in Cape Town on a six-week coaching course residency at Cape Town Opera and also working on La Boheme, which has just opened here Mm -hmm. in Cape Town. And um, talking about song pianists and the list of names I read out for recitals, is opera as important to you, Gary, as recital? Or is that an unfair question? No, it's not an unfair question at all. Um, my, My musical life has been recitals with singers for mm-hmm. many years uh, and I've been very very happy doing that but I've also just had a kernel of ambition at the back of my mind for many years at least a decade where I thought one day I, I really would like to try conducting mm-hmm. um, especially operatic conducting there's something about that feeling of being in an opera house in the audience and seeing those people up there on stage and I just have this urge which is linked very much to the same urge I have as a pianist who works with singers to help them do their absolute best Mm -hmm. and regrettably in (laughs) some instances you know there are some conductors who don't help them maybe as much as they or maybe that's a controversial thing to say (laughs) well exactly it could be an obstacle in a sense yes but it's um they are such vulnerable creatures you know Mm -hmm. and so some uncharitable folks say oh singers could be so difficult sometimes and I think well you know if you're if your instrument was the size of a five pence piece and you couldn't see it and it was inside your body, if you weren't feeling you know, yourself that day, it might not work as you're expecting. You're singing in one of goodness knows how many languages from memory. You're wearing these costumes under these hot lights. You can't hear the orchestra. You're looking at some monitor. <laughs> you've got you to remember it sound dreadful. <laughs> well, you know, you've got to remember not to block that person's light, pick up that prop at the right moment. They... They're absolute geniuses. I don't know how they even... I wouldn't survive a second doing what they do. <laughs> so, And I find it so thrilling to be around them and to try and help them feel that they can do what they do, their extraordinarily difficult task, um, as best they can. And it's lovely it, to hear you say that, that you want to be there to help them, that you sat in the audience watching this and you thought, I want to be there, I want to help them, I want to support mm-hmm. them. Uh, uh, some conductors wouldn't say that. 
some people some conductors might say i'm crazy to kind of think of it in those terms i'm, I'm not sure yeah, but um yeah. that's my take on it is if the conducting is going to keep going well which hopefully it will mm-hmm. that i'd like to be known as as a singer's conductor um, okay but yeah. gary what attracted you to singers first of all can you remember going back to your well youth although you are still clearly very young oh please <laughs> You're very kind. No, I'm 40. Um, oh, yeah, okay. I Yes, I can remember what first attracted me to singers. I can actually remember the first moment as a student at the Royal College of Music. Um, going back to, you mentioned my hero, Gerald Moore. We were in a stylistics class and they played a recording of um, Dietrich Fischer-Dieskau and Gerald Moore. It was an excerpt from Schöne Mulligan. And I remember sitting there, sitting in the, in the class thinking, I don't even know what these words mean. But I had this desperate urge to find out what this person was singing about because I could hear the humanity in the delivery of the text and also in somehow in the delivery of the piano part as well. Um, I just felt I was witnessing some little human microcosmos somehow. Mm-hmm. And I've long been a literature and poetry nerd. And so I kind of realized, I think, over time that actually it's the text, it's the existence of the text is the thing that drew me to singers to the point now where of course I love lots of symphonic and chamber music and abstract music but I often find myself thinking what what would the words be <laughs> if they existed <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. and someone asked me if I could explain in more detail why it is that it's the vocal stuff that really excites me and I realized that you know if you take an abstract piano piece you've got these three elements of the composer the pianist and the audience but if you take even what looks like the simplest Schubert song, you've twice the number of human elements to play with because there's the poet who crystallized whatever human experience first. Then the composer came along and added his or hers. I come along as a pianist with my view on the poem to bring to rehearsal. The singer comes along twice, once as themselves and also the character they're portraying, and then you've the audience. So what, a, what an extraordinarily rich human world you're entering one or more of those things are always going to change every time you come back to a song so it's just this I think it's the fact that music's not about music, it's about people it's created by people, for people to perform, for people to enjoy and when I'm working with with singers whether it's song or opera I love that feeling of being entrenched in this very, very human world. Have you ever sung or wanted to sing? No, I couldn't sing a note. No, no you're the pianist. You're a pianist, <laughs> a song pianist. I love good singing more than anything else, but I wouldn't inflict that on anybody. Okay. Um, I remember I interviewed in this very studio a couple of years ago a man called Robert Sutherland. Mm. Do you know of him? Yes. Mario yeah. Callas's. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and he wrote a book, and it was fascinating hearing him say, from his age, this perspective yeah. of what you're saying, and how colours just blossomed when he was there, and how they trusted each other. Yeah. And that trust, which you also mentioned, must be so important in a recital. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, as I said, you're, you're in a way carrying this, this person. Mm. Uh, one of my old professors used to use a nice analogy. He said, you know, think of it like a magic carpet. The, the singer in an ideal world will show you where they want to go, but you're the one who helps them go there. Gosh, that's and, in many and carries them in, in some instances. Okay, Gary, now let us have another piece of music. What mm-hmm. have we got coming up? Let's have some Benjamin Britten. Yes, next. gosh. Um, from the Serenade for Tenor, Horn and Strings. I love the whole thing, but especially the hymn, the Queen and Huntress um, movement from that. There's a recording by Ian Bostridge um, with the Berlin Phil and Simon Rattle. I've always been a Britain fan. I think not least because he's, for me, 
the supreme setter of English. I would even go so far as maybe to say between Purcell and Britain, there aren't really many people who can come close in that regard. Um, and there's something about the way he just brings the English language to very much sparkling life when he sets it to music. Um, that piece especially is, uh, I love it as well because it was premiered at the Wigmore Hall, which is in some ways my musical kind of spiritual home for many years. Um, and so the thought of it on that stage pleases me very much. Queen and huntress chased and fair How the sun is late to sleep Seated in my silver chair State in haunted manner keep Hesperus entreats thy light Hesperus entreats thy light Goddess, goddess, goddess Excellently bright Shining orb was made. Heaven to clear when they did close. Bless us then with mission sight. Bless us then with mission sight. Goddess, goddess, goddess. Excellently bright. May I hope of pearl apart and thy crystal shining quiver. Even to the flying heart space to breathe, how short soever. How that makes the day of night, how that makes the day of night, how that makes love. Goddess, 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 excellently bright. Music by Benjamin Britten from his serenade for tenor, horn and strings, the hymn Queen and Huntress. You heard Ian Bostrich there, the tenor, with the Berlin Philharmonic conducted by Sir Simon Rattle. And another choice, the second choice of my guest on People of Note this week, Gary Matthewman, who's in town on a six-week coaching residency at Cape Town Opera, working on La Bohème. And... Um, we're celebrating the voice, really. And um, I was going to ask you, Gary, you said how much you love Benjamin Britten. You spoke about how he brings words to life like mm -hmm. that. Have you had the good fortune to work on any of his operas? I mean, isn't yeah. Peter Grimes the most extraordinary opera? It really is extraordinary. And these conducting ambitions of mine we've been talking about, <laughs> yes. that's, what, that's, one on, that's very much on the bucket list. No, but I've, I've played, I've been lucky to be repetitor um, on a few Britain operas yeah, mm -hmm. and I've always had a wonderful time with Britain this piece as well the, the serenade for tenor horn strings I especially love to the degree that the first concert I ever conducted a couple of years ago I programmed it <laughs> so yeah, you I'm need very a, fond of it you need a jolly good horn player don't you, you I really mean, it do. really is a virtuoso horn yeah. part that isn't yeah. it that Britain wrote I think you wrote it for Dennis Brain possibly that's right yes and there's a there's a funny apocryphal story uh, about Prince Philip. <laughs> yeah. I don't know whether you want to include this. Please do. There's a funny story where, so, so the prologue 
is of course unaccompanied horn with these w- wonderful natural harmonics um, and the penultimate movement is for s- strings and tenor only to give the horn player the chance to leave the stage so that you can hear the epilogue which is the same music um, as, the, as the opening um, played from off stage there was a performance attended by Prince Philip and as the horn player walked off he turned to his neighbour and very audibly said, well, he's got the right idea, hasn't he? <laughs> so <laughs> Prince Philip is clearly not a Britain fan, or wasn't he, in that instance? <laughs> One of these mini <laughs> yes. Oh, dear. Now, look, we've spoken, as I said, about your conducting ambitions, and clearly they're quite intense. And what are you doing about it? Are you getting jobs? Are you getting work as a conductor now? Is it starting to look up? Yes, I, I wanted to show people that I was taking it seriously so I applied to go back to school as it were so I went to the Royal Academy of Music um, for one year on an intensive orchestral conducting course they have this wonderful thing there called CPD uh, continued professional development um, so that you don't have to do a, a qualification but you join the master's program for a year and the teacher there is Sean Edwards Oh, yes. studied with the great Musin in St. Petersburg in the 80s and I really wanted to find out about Russian conducting technique Mm -hmm. Um, this idea that you can somehow make sound visible uh, in a very unambiguous way and so she gave me a grilling for a year and it was just absolutely fantastic Um, and then yes uh, as a result of that and while I was still there I was asked if I'd be interested in doing some assisting in in opera it was very much in at the deep end with Graham Vick's brilliant um, Birmingham Opera Company Lady Macbeth at Macensk. Oh my goodness! Yes, it is the deep. In- <laughs> it really was with a community chorus as well. It, it was really quite something to be part of. Yeah. Um, and then I was very, very happy to be asked to go back to Glyndebourne, where I worked as a repetiteur to assist on Lilizia d'Amore. So I did that um, last year, um, and I'll be going back to Glyndebourne. I'm here doing Bohem with you folks, and there are plans for some Britain. Uh, on the continent, meaning mm-hmm. Europe, next um, next winter. So yes, things are very much happening. And there's also an, an orchestra in London called the Orion Orchestra, which is for postgrad students and recent graduates, young professionals. Mm-hmm. And, and they approached me and asked me if I'd be interested in taking over as their principal conductor and their new artistic director. So I jumped at that chance. So yes, it's a, it's a nice problem to have because I'm pretty much just trying to fit in everything with mm-hmm. the recital work I'm still doing the coaching I'm still doing at the Royal Opera and the Royal College of Music in London and then assisting work in, in conducting. And oh, you're also working at Royal Opera at Covent Garden? Yes, I, I coach the young artists there. Oh, gosh. Yeah, which is a lovely thing to, to do. Um, all of the young artists at the Royal Opera have to do a recital as part of their time there. Mm-hmm. And so they initially got me in as a song repertoire nerd if you like to coach them <laughs> on that stuff um, but then that's spilled over into doing little bits of opera coaching but look well, Gary so. on the bright side and there's no reason to have a dark side but mm. look how many of the famous conductors began as repetiteurs mm-hmm. even a Schulte for example mm. working with Richard Strauss mm. I think possibly even Karian was a repetiteur at one stage so and with opera being their sort of springboard mm. so things should look up for you I hope so. Yes, it's a. It's well, let's a hope they've looked up and they're getting more <laughs> and more. We also spoke before we came to the studio about the legendary Sir Adrian Bolt, and I just wanted you to tell the story on the program about his batons, and because uh, um, he was famous for a very long baton and a big rubber. They had these huge ball. kind of cork handles, mm. that looked like, and they were almost looked like instruments of torture. And these great <laughs> huge things take somebody's eye out with this thing. Um, 
Yes, it's an interesting thing, you know, and again, going back to the conducting course at the academy, for the first few weeks, we we weren't allowed to have a baton. We had to kind of learn these conducting techniques with just the hand alone. Um, and then taking the baton as a kind of an extension of your arm. And, oh, that's interesting. Um, and Sean would keep saying, you know, where are you carrying the sound? Is it in the tip of the stick? Is it somewhere in your wrist? Is it in the crook of your arm? Um, and it was so wonderful and interesting to go into that level, level of depth and things I considerations I hadn't really known existed prior yeah. to serious it is, it. it's a sort of magical thing it's impossible mm. to describe really yeah. what you've just said about is it in the tip is it in the mm. base is it in your arm mm. is it in your elbow this is something no one will experience unless they are actually conducting mm. and, the, and, the, and the musicians in an orchestra will read these things instinctively and, they do. and perceive it to be clear or not mm -hmm. and give you a very hard time if it's not <laughs> famously <laughs> <Yeah>. and notoriously <laughs> uh, just going back to Bolt um, I remember he, there was a lovely story that he and his wife used to listen to the radio once he'd retired mm -hmm. And sometimes if you heard a conductor that he didn't like, you would say, too much elbow, there's right. too much elbow. Yes, yeah. Because he loved the idea of not much movement. Yes. So at the end of his stick did uh, actually quite a big sweep, even mm -hmm. though he was so still. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think these days conductors don't jump about Bernstein style, do they? You're encouraged to kind of keep it, <laughs> keep it economical and yes. Yes, don't mix the message with flailing limbs mm -hmm. or you don't want to look like a windmill and Sean Edwards was one of the first sort of really successful women conductors apart possibly mm -hmm. from Jane Glover mm -hmm. who to make recordings now there's so many mm -hmm. even some with unpronounceable names in Birmingham mm -hmm. I would like another piece of music from you now please Mr. Matthewman let's move to Debussy this is the the Prelude à l'après-midi d'un fond um, which is Debussy is Actually, another word setter I very, very much love. I'm crazy about his songs. But something about the way he can create a sound world, which is the opposite of, and I'm speaking very crudely here, but much Germanic music, which I adore, gives me the feeling that the music is somehow etched in marble. It might be very, very fine marble, but it's nevertheless, it's, it's it has edges. And it's, yeah. it, whereas so much of what I love about Debussy's world is... It's so finely structured, but it's just like a kind of vapor that just hangs there somehow in the air. And, um, especially this piece. Especially this piece, yes. And I've just, I've just always loved it.
Oh dear, sadly we have to leave that vapour, as you called it, Gary, <laughs> that vapour of sound, part of the prelude to the afternoon of a fawn, he said, being intimidated by the French, by Debussy, and uh, the choice of my guest, Gary Matthewman, and the recording there with the Royal Concertgebouw Orchestra conducted by Bernard Heiting. And talking, Gary, as we were, about economy of technique, mm-hmm. Heiting was another one, wasn't he? He was not demonstrative at all, yet got such fantastic response. I think some, he, some might argue he was the supreme master of economy and conducting technique, mm-hmm. yes. Um, I was lucky enough to be at a performance, his last London performance at the, the Proms last summer, um, Bruckner 7. And the way that the man radiates this white-hot intensity and, I don't know, an inner truth somehow, <laughs> yes. a conviction. Um, Again, a mystery, with, a mystery how he communicates yeah. that to the orchestra. You can't really no. articulate how he does what he, what he, do, what he does. It was, it's really magical. And he's also retired now, mm-hmm. but has a, in the grand old days. I think he's turned 90s That's into right, his yeah. 90s now. It was so moving in that concert, you know, to to see him there, this this legend before your eyes. With, yes. He had this a, a, a black silver-tipped cane, um, which he used to, to come on stage. And then at the end, um, you know, he, he turned and took his bow. We were all, of course, leapt to our feet instantly. We were there for a long time. And then the leader of the orchestra just gently took him by the elbow and, and helped him off stage. <laughs> we were all in floods of tears. I'm sure. And he has a curious expression that he wears sometimes where he sometimes looks worried. Yes. Um, yeah. And when you watch him conducting the films of his, he wears that it's an intensity in his face because one sees these documentaries about conductors and a lot of people say it's all in the eyes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Do you have a? Sorry, I interrupted you. Well, I was just going to say it must be it must be quite something for him to carry that greatness around with him. <laughs> <laughs> Gary, do you have a conductor that inspires you a lot, knowing that you want to enter this extraordinary world? I mean, there are so many good ones about, and there have been so many good ones. You mean living conductors, people who are kind of working now, or both? Am I? Both. You're allowed to choose two. Well, of course, we all go back to Kleiber. We are—you get any group of conductors together, or a new conductor, or student conductors together—and we all wax lyrical about those videos, which is uh, so wonderfully available now oh, online. Carlos Kleiber, that Carlos Kleiber, absolutely, my goodness. And of the living conductors, of the people working now, I have huge admiration for Yannick Nitzitzega at the Met. I I watch him, and I just see the music in him and I can't quite describe it and I did actually pluck up the courage to write to him and say look if you could give me one piece of golden advice what would it be what would it be and he said do your work of course but forget the gesture and you just see him living that out every time and also when you speak to colleagues and and people in the the business about conductors they particularly enjoyed working with Mm -hmm. so many of them mention him as this sunshine in the room which gives everybody the feeling they can do their job better no matter what their involvement in, in an opera production so Yes, I have huge respect and admiration for him. It's great that he's gone to the Met. I mean, James Levine had that extraordinary career at the Met, um, and we know what happened, which is sad, but nonetheless, uh, and to some extent, I think, ridiculous, but there you are. But um, to have someone like Yannick Neze Sagan take yeah. over, you sort of feel that the Met is in good hands, don't Absolutely. you? Absolutely. Yeah. Because it's such an institution, mm. the Met. And that he's a young man. And mm, well, yes, but, very but much so. So, so brilliant. Yeah. I was surprised how short he is. I think that's often what I'm not particularly <laughs> tall. There are quite a lot of people who in conducting I don't know, seem to not be the tallest. Yeah. Carrie and Bernstein apparently were not tall at all. Yeah. Someone tall someone tall. said once, well, well, it's kind of you know it's easier to kind of tick you in in in, in one glance if you're not 
seven foot tall and flailing around. You know, um, here in South Africa, we don't get access very often to the big names. And if we do, it's a fleeting visit. That's mm-hmm. why I was interested to hear that Dame Kirita Karuna is coming out, mm. albeit just for masterclasses. But you've worked with her. And I mentioned some names at the beginning. So Thomas Allen, Sumi Joe, Joyce DiDonato, Kate Royale, Benjamin Apple, and as you said, Sarah Jane Brandon. What's it like working with them? Do, do, do egos ever get in the way? Or once they trust you, it's okay? There is a, lo- a huge trust game involved. Mm-hmm. Because as, as I alluded to earlier, you know, the, much of what singers do is make themselves very, very vulnerable. And if they ever ask you before you go on stage to perform a recital together, you know, how are you? The answer is fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> because they just need to feel that they have this rock-solid support mm-hmm. um, beneath them um, so that they can get up there on that high wire and, and do their miraculous thing. Do you have a preference for a voice? Uh, do you like accompanying male or female or both? I, no, I can't say I have a preference for a voice. I do have a weakness for a creamy lyric soprano sound mm-hmm. and so much of what Strauss wrote. And, yes, exactly. Um, the, yes. Yeah. But uh, no, I mean, I, I love all voices. Okay. Now, Famously, mm-hmm. you have your own recording of Die Winterreise by Schubert, which has been very well received by the critics. And the gramophone magazine, the noble gramophone magazine, made it a CD of the month, a recording of the month. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about this and how you got together with the singer and how it all came together. And then we'll listen to some. So Matthew Rose is an extraordinary singer, a, a true bass, but happy, happily with an extraordinary top to his voice as well. Um, and when he asked me if I'd like to record Vintelizer with him, I thought, my goodness, you know, these are going to be transposed so far down. We're going to really have some work um, on our hands here to keep the textures necessarily clear. Um, but it was worth it. And we and we recorded it in, in Snape, near, oh, near yes, Aldborough, yes. home of Benjamin Britten, of course, and the Aldborough Festival. And so to be there in January in this bleak um, marsh setting spending four days um, recording a bleak song cycle yeah and I work which you know I'm okay I'm, I'm 14 so I'm profession- professionally speaking I'm still young I, I like to think but um, to record a piece like that which is already becoming an old friend somehow you know I performed it many times and I actually recorded it last year with Adam Plahetka a bass baritone maybe I'll work my way up through the through the male voices who knows over the years and end um, up with a soprano <laughs> yes who knows who knows but uh, yes it really was really was quite something so which of the songs from the cycle would you like us to listen to I think Eshtarung number four would be a good choice Ich 
song cycle by Schubert, Winterreise, that was Erstarung, and you heard the bass, Matthew Rose, and the pianist, the song pianist, was my guest on People of Note, Gary Matthewman, in Cape Town, working on La Bohème, as we speak, but then what happens, Gary, you're here for this this six-week coaching residency, you said it's been extended, mm-hmm. because of Kiryu Takano are coming mm-hmm. here to do master classes, but then... When you get back, what's next? A holiday? Are you plunging straight back into work? Straight back into work. Uh, the first thing when I get back is a concert with the Orion Orchestra, and it's a, a, a concert we've called The Soul of Russia. And I'm very excited because we're including Shostakovich's first cello concerto, which I've always found hugely exciting. Mm-hmm. What is it about Russian, the Russian sound orchestra? As you mentioned, the early conducting is... Are you able to explain what it is that, that attracts you? I think it might be linked to... What I've often experienced as the kind of Russian intensity for life, <laughs> if, that's a, okay. if that's a fair thing to say, um, I love that that feeling of extremes in mm. the in the emotional temperature, if you like, of of how they see things. But apart from the music, much of which is, as we know, an emotional temperature mm. is quite high. But there was the great Mravinsky, oh, of course, um, yeah. who, whose Tchaikovsky recordings are mm. so extraordinary. I, I do agree with that. I mean, is that what you're talking about? That sort of intensity and sound absolutely yes the kind of it's very difficult to actually articulate it is isn't it i've asked you an almost unfair question again it's something talking to a conductor is actually quite difficult because they can't actually get us to feel what they feel as you said with the arm and the baton earlier it's something that happens magically it's something that hopefully an orchestra can kind of see in you yes yeah but when you hear those mravinsky recordings it couldn't be by anybody else and it couldn't be from any other country you know it's right. and i don't quite know why or how it's just okay. it's just a thing and then there's boris godunov mm. which i'm sure you'd love to get your hands absolutely, on absolutely one day so that's what you're going back to now this orchestra and the russian program yes. and for the rest of your year do you have an exciting year lined up yes yeah, so, well there are other concerts with with orion we're doing for a requiem and i've com- i've commissioned a work for the same re- resources um the same scoring um 
by a, a friend, a colleague of mine called Simon Roland Jones, great violist and and composer. And of course, for a requiem, has no violins other than the, the solo violin. So that'll be interesting to kind of have a celebration of the viola concert. Mm-hmm. We'll put Bach's Brandenburg Six in the middle. Um, there are various, yes, yeah, absolutely. Other recitals coming up, some nice things. Um, yes, a Winterreise, uh, a program with a lovely tenor called Alessandro Fischer. Various bits and pieces. Yeah. And conducting as well, I hope. Yes, I mean, going you back to Glyndebourne and then going to Brussels to, to do more assisting. Okay, and in the meantime, I hope you're enjoying Cape Town as well. As oh, I yes. said, it's not a bad place to be at this time of it's year. It's a wonderful place to be. I'm, I'm a very happy musician. <laughs> Gary, it's been great talking to you and finding out about um, the song Pianist, which I shall always <laughs> quote you on now. Um, but I hope one day soon you come out here to conduct an opera, maybe even Peter Grimes. How Who knows? Who There's knows? something to suggest to Matthew. I can but hope. <laughs> so what are we going to play you out with? Well, Visidate, Visidamore is one of those areas which you can't fail to love. And... Um, as I keep saying, you know, I love good singing more than anything else. And this human instinct in a great singer. And so I thought, well, how lovely to maybe choose Kiri's recording of um, Thysaria, London Philharmonic, John Pritchard. Um, and also you said you love a creamy... Creamy lyric, lyric sound. And she and is, Kiri is ideal for that, isn't she? The, what do they call it? The Kiri Gold. Mm, in oh, the Kiri yes. Gold. Okay. <laughs> Thank you very much, Gary, and enjoy the rest of your stay. And um, come and see us again soon, I hope, on the podium. Thank you very much.
People of Note on Fine Music Radio was proudly brought to you by Peter Turin Productions. Peter Turin presents Mel Brooks's hilarious musical comedy, The Producers, a record-breaking winner of 12 Tony Awards, starring Alan Committee, Terence Bridget, Earl Gregory, and a full knockout South African cast. Enjoy such comedy hits as I Want to Be a Producer, When You Got It, Flaunt It, Springtime for Hitler, and many more. Don't miss The Producers, on now until the 28th of March, only at Theatre on the Bay. For a comic start to your year, book now.